Welcome to this episode of the Atlanta Career Journey Podcast. My guest today is Missy Pitcher, who is president of the CMIT Solutions of Northeast Atlanta. Uh, Missy and I worked together a long time ago back at Earthlink, and we've kept in touch over the years. She's an amazing person. She's done some really incredible things as a small minority business owner, uh, incredibly bright, articulate, and I'm so thankful to have her on the podcast today. So welcome to the podcast, Missy. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for the for, for the warm introduction. It's it's great to be here. Yeah, it's it's actually the the first recording of 21. We've turned the page on a lot of craziness from 2020, and uh, I'm I'm really glad to have you as, as my first actual live guest. So we've got a lot to talk about today. Um, I do want to just start on a, on a couple of things, but um, you know, I think let's let's dig into your background a little bit. Tell me a little bit about where you grew up and um, kind of what's your background. Well, it's it's I, I have a very interesting, well, I'll say interesting, very varied um, background. I was born in Laurel, Mississippi, and um, my mom was married young, and I grew up, you know, with a single, my mom was a single parent, and she um, has always been my biggest cheerleader, and, you know, we were we had modest of modest means. And when I say of modest means, I can, you know, I can remember times when we didn't know where our next meal was coming from. And, you know, we were, we, we were of modest means. Fortunately, my mom was very um, big in education and incredibly supportive. And so I, you know, I got my bachelor's degree. I went on to get my master's degree and I started my career at Equ- I'm sorry, I started my career at um, Sybase. And when I say I started my career, I, I've been working since I was 14. Sure. Job. Hey, Missy, um, let's, so let's, let's go back there. So let's, let's mm-hmm. go back to high school because I think mm-hmm. you've, you've done a lot of things really early on. I think it's a great story. So mm-hmm. high school, um, you, you started working at 14. That's probably what, ninth grade, eighth grade, something like that. I was in were ninth you, grade. Yeah. So were you thinking in, in high school, um, any sort of kind of career uh, ambitions at that point, or did you? Yeah. Have any, tell me when I was you. in high school, I wanted to be a lawyer. Okay. Um, I, you know, just I, I was intrigued by the law. I was intrigued by politics. I was intrigued by history, and I, you know, so all through high school, I was like, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a lawyer. And then when I got to college, um, I, you know, started down that path. I, um, you know, was was a political science major. I worked at a law office and that kind of opened my eyes that I didn't want to be a lawyer. And I think um, if I had known then what I know now, I might be like a corporate law lawyer or a, a torts lawyer or something that, you know, that's more, that's less criminal or um, or personal injury law. But uh-huh. I just didn't know. And we didn't have yeah. counselors yeah. back then. Yeah, I think that's too, you know, there is so many different avenues of law that I just thought, okay, I only see them on TV, they're prosecution or their defense, right? It's criminal law, and that's it. And there's nothing else you can do with it. So, so did you go all the way through um, high school thinking law is my my focus, I'm really going to be so, so focused on that. And that's pretty Mm -hmm. much going to be my end game. Yeah, high school and college until about my junior year in college when I worked at a personal injury law firm Uh and it was, I mean, it was an amazing experience. I was actually working on the case for the, um, the earthquake, the the, the collapse, the earthquake that collapsed in California. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Um, during the Loma Prieta earthquake, uh-huh. um, I worked in the law firm that was handling most of those cases. And so it was very difficult. It was, you know, it was gritty and, you know, interacting with the judges. I would go into to court with my um, with the, the partners of the practice and just, you know, be a fly on the wall just so that I could see what the experience was like. So that was a really good experience. Um, as far as just exposure and access and, you know, them trusting me in that space. Yeah. Um, however, you, I'm sorry. Oh, no, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, um, please continue. No, however, I realized that that was not um, something that I wanted to do. But yeah. knowing what I know now and having like one of my best friends is chief counsel at, you know, a major utility, I could have done so many things in law had I had the exposure. So yeah. um, it's important yeah. to you know, seek out the conversations and work with people that understand a broad, have a broader perspective. And, you know, now just, you know, having conversations with people and outside of your, your, your school environment really can give you exposure and kind of lead you, continue, help you continue on your, the path of your dream, if that's what you want. Yeah. Did you, um, so in high school, were there certain classes that you excelled at? Were there some activities you were involved in or sports or things that sort of built sort of the foundation of um, how you you move forward? So I, in in high school history and anything that was writing and creative thinking, not in the creative thinking as in being a writer, but creative thinking as being able to articulate um, and regurgitate information that was really my strong suit. I'm really, you know, I'm a really good writer even today. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really good at taking ideas and con- concepts and kind of broadening them, broadening them into something more interesting or um, defining them better. I'm, that's just kind of one of those things that I can't say, I don't know if I was born with it or if it's something that I, um, you know, nurtured and grew as a result of the path that I took. I'm not sure. Yeah, I bet it's probably a little of both. I think when, mm-hmm. especially when you're younger and you have a passion, you you enjoy doing it, and right. then you get better, and then you used to get a little more refined. And you know, I think that that drives it. But the you know, writing is is uh, so critical for all of us to do anything exactly. in any you know, even in an IT field, you still have customers, mm-hmm. and you know, we deal with the email all the time, and uh, you know, you're pitching ideas, and so it's really really yeah. critical. Yeah, it's great. So uh, so you get to you get to college, mm-hmm. poli sci. Mm-hmm. Um, looking forward to a career in law. Um, were there other activities you did in college? Any things that that uh, kind of expanded your your mind out of the house for the first time in your life? Um, well, I was a um, in I, I did cheer from like age eleven um, through college, and I tried out for semi pro. I actually tried out for the 49ers. Did um, you really? I did. See, I, I learned so many new things when I do these podcasts, <laughs> Missy. I did. I didn't make it, of course, but yeah. I made the first cut. Um, yeah. And it was, it, you know, it was an amazing experience because I, you know, I've always danced. I've always cheered. It was, um, it, it's a part of my, it was a part of my, my breathing. You know, when I was um, 15, uh-huh. I, um, my mom, I, I, we had a game and I didn't go home straight away. And so I, you know, I get home about 10 o'clock after the game. And, you know, this is well before everybody had cell phones and what have <laughs> you. And my mom was frantic. She's like, you know, what happened? And I was like, oh, well, I was just hanging out with my friends. And mm-hmm. so she put me on punishment. I could not cheer for a week. I thought oh. I was going to die. Yeah. I was just like, it was like cheer was like air for me. And yeah. so 
to, to this day, if I'm going to be late or if I'm going to not make it, I call my mom because, you know, <laughs> it, it was just ingrained in me that you don't leave your mom hanging because something bad can happen. And so, yeah, know, me cheer and dance was always something that was one of those things that I absolutely love. And it just, um, you know, gave me life. And so now what gives me life? Hmm. <laughs> well, you know, I think for for that social group, you know, and, and, and I think for for cheer and dance, it's a, certainly creative outlets, which you describe you like. Um, and I think, you know, I've spoke to other guests who have done things like, you know, cheering and pageants and other sort of creative outlets. I've, I've got two daughters that have been involved in that as well. And mm -hmm. the, it's it gives them confidence. It mm -hmm. gives them, you know, physical control over mm -hmm. sort of their being. It gives them an outlet. And I Absolutely. think it really does. Um, really, you know, build some of those, those, those key um, work habits mm -hmm. to get better. And, you know, any sort of competition, I think is a good thing. You know, mm -hmm. you know, you, you work for something, you know, if it pans out great, you know, and sometimes it doesn't, and you learn those lessons as well. So I think Absolutely. that's really, really good. Absolutely. So cool. So you um, going through college, um, are you thinking law school right out of college? Or are you thinking, okay, I'm going to try and um, kind of figure out sort of where this path goes? I was thinking law school right out of college. I was, you know, uh, for me, the educational path is it, it, continuous. And so yeah. I was thinking, you know, I'll finish high school. I will, you know, take the GMAT, I think it is, or the MCAT, one of those. those yeah, tests. one of those letters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'll go straight to, to law school, you know, fingers crossed, which, uh -huh. you know, test taking has never really been a challenge for me, thank God. Um, but as I, you know, as I went down my path, um, I realized that it, you know, it wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do. So then I was faced with the question, well, what do you want to do? And yeah. at the time I was a poli sci major and this was during kind of the whole deregulation thing. So there weren't that many government jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was working at, um, Circuit City cause out of college, I got a management position, position at Circuit City and, um, it was just, I realized that retail was not for me as well. And I happened to apply for a job at Sybase and it was a project coordinator position, but it wasn't your everyday project coordinator position. It was a combination of project coordination to make sure that everything in their learning center ran, um, ran smoothly. It was resource utilization, making sure that the resources in-house um, the, the, the classrooms, the instructors, um, the whole schedule ran appropriately. And then it was reporting and tech support, which, you know, I didn't have a, a technical background necessarily. I was, you know, technically literate, but I didn't have a technical background. Yeah. And so I got this job and um, I was given all this responsibility and I was, I was 26. So I didn't go straight to college right out of high school. I actually worked for the first four years uh -huh. and then I went to college. And so I graduated, um, undergrad when I was 26. And so I'm giving all, given all this responsibility, um, at 26 and I was thriving. I absolutely loved it. I was working 50 hours a week and, um, you know, on the weekends I would go in and I would make sure that the learning center was ready for, um, for the Monday morning class schedule. And it was amazing. I, you know, I, I found my home. It's like yeah. project management, technology, coordination, 
was all things that, you know, I had done worked at, worked at an, as an administrative assistant, you know, prior to that. So this project coordinator role was just like the perfect next step for me to kind of get on a career path that has since led to where I am today. Yeah. And that's a really great pivot because, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, sort of your earlier goals and even, you know, you touched on retail and I'm right there with you. I, I've, I've done a lot of retail jobs um, and, and food service for me. No, I will never touch another restaurant ever in my life. But the, the pivot that you did, because, you know, you had you had some of the, the tactical experiences about making sure things are moving forward in that project management skill. Right. But how did you figure out, okay, I've been poli sci, I've been history, creative. Now I'm going to go into this IT field. What was it that that for you that sort of lit up an idea that said, you know what, I can do this. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I had been working as, you know, my first job at 14 was secretary receptionist at a mental health facility. <laughs> um, and it was, so I was responsible for kind of the administrative functions of that office for the summer. That was my first summer job. Gotcha. And then the next summer job was, um, again, an administrative function, and it was working with a teletype. And I can't remember exactly what I was doing, but it was, you know, this teletype and it would spit out all of these giant pieces of paper. And I was responsible for kind of making sure they got where they were supposed to be when they were supposed to be. So mm -hmm. I always had that administrative coordination background. Um, but, you know, kind of in the back of my mind, I always wanted to be a lawyer because I just you know, I just love the idea of the law and I really liked history. Um, but it, 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 so that administrative background was always there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the way that they put the position together and the way that my, my boss who was, you know, I, I'll, I'll say she's brilliant and I, I try to emulate some of the um, things that she did with my staff. She, you know, she was like, I'm taking this part of our function and I'm giving you this part of our function. And it is your responsibility to make sure that we are successful in this part of our function. And she trusted me to do it and I lived up to it and I actually did it. So um, I think just, it, you know, sometimes some things are just serendipity mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and, you know, a blessing and, you know, God and, and just kind of, things come together and work together for your good. And so I think that that's kind of how I, how I see it because, you know, I've had administrative functions. I've worked in retail. I've worked in, you know, I wanted to be a lawyer, but in the grand scheme of things, when it all came together, that role completely changed my life. And I've actually reached out to her and the, um, the, the manager that was my next manager at Sybase that, actually got me my project management training. And I sent them a thank you, just, you know, thank you for one, believing in me and two, giving me the tools that you've given me so that I could get on this path. Um, because I think it's also, you know, very important to be, to be grateful and to acknowledge where people have given you a leg up because they don't have to, you know, it's not anybody's responsibility to, um, to, get you to that next that step or to give you anything it's you know that that's out of the kindness of their heart even if it's, in, if it's in the context of their job i think that's a really great point and i think it says a lot about you as a person to do that and recognize it 
because n- nobody really is sort of you know pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps you know mm-hmm. you are mm-hmm. you are dependent on others for lots of different things and to recognize that and to sort of you know pay it forward in some mm-hmm. ways i think is really helpful and to recognize that hey you know what you helped me um i'm on my way and if you can help 10 other people in the course of your career um that's 10 new people that that's creating new business ideas, new products, new ways to solve things, inspiring people, whatever the case is. It's just, I think that is really how we are, are helping each other out. And that's really fantastic. So, um, and I was looking through kind of your, your bio. Now we, we had met um, at um, Earthlink. We were, we were both project managers. We're wired pretty similar. You know, we've got, got control of the project moving forward and tracking against it. I know you did a, a number of other things between, that first Sybase job and um, then when, when you and I met, but um, maybe kind of fill in a, at a high level sort of how your evolution of project management went because, you know, people have asked me, how do you get into be project managers? You know, you don't manage it. You don't mind, you don't major in that in college, but sometimes it's just, you know, you're already doing something like that in a particular job, whether you're coming from an administrative administrative view or, you know, I worked in a drugstore and I had to sort of manage the flow of product coming in, you know, and so those are sort of good, good growth areas and sort of learning experiences. But tell me about your path going through the PM role. So how I actually got into project management, I was still at Sybase and I got in a promotion, moved to a different department. And um, I'm trying to think of the lady's first name. Her last name is Washington. And she was an amazing um, woman who saw a lot in me and we had this project. Um, I worked in like the, it was, it was the global marketing team and we were doing an office move and it was 200 people moving from one location on the other side of the 80 freeway to um, the, the main side base building. And it was my responsibility to coordinate all of the activities that were associated with that move creating the floor plan, working with the technical team to make sure that all of, you know, they had all of the wiring, the drops, the, the, the outlets, the phones, everything, working with the individuals to make sure that they were packed, make sure that they had boxes. And prior to that, she sent me to a project management course at Berkeley. And it was, you know, an amazing class. And it was like six weeks class. And she was like, you know, this is going to help you so much. This was before, you know, you could major in project management. Um, and, mm-hmm. there, you know, I don't even know if the PMI had come out with their certification. It was, you know, like the beginnings of project management. I know I'm dating myself, making myself sound old. I'm right there with you, too, because <laughs> I think it was really more about construction. I think that was the yes, structure, it was all construction. right? Exactly. Yeah. It wasn't and in technology as of yet. Nope. It was construction and like um, Lockheed Martin and, and yeah. Boeing, those people. Big military contracts, long term. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So um, I took this course and I was like, oh, my God. Um, And so I coordinated this move. All 200 people, they got in their location with very few hiccups. And it was one of those things. It had to be a flash cut. They could not, you know, leave some people over there, leave equipment over there because our lease was coming up. So we got that all done. We got them moved in. And I was like, project management is where I'm going to be. And so I started managing projects within Sybase. And the thing that I that I learned about managing projects is um, is the different stakeholders. And 
being able to manage and speak the language of the different people that you have to coordinate. And mm-hmm. so Sybase was one of those really interesting companies, you know, with just outside of Berkeley in Emeryville, California. And so we had developers that were, um, you know, we kind of kept them out of the, the, the public's <laughs> eye because they were, you know, you take, you take Berkeley, you take Emeryville, you take developers. And, you know, we were just happy if they wore shoes to work. <laughs> um, so it was one of those things where, you know, you kind of had to coordinate. And my first real technology project was actually getting our organization on um, Sybase as a platform. And Sybase is, well, was competitor to Oracle. Right now, you know, Oracle has completely um, left Sybase behind, but Sybase is, was competitor to Oracle. It's a relational database platform. Yeah. And so we weren't using, we weren't drinking our own tea. So we had to get <laughs> us onto the Sybase platform, which meant I had to coordinate with the business, I had to coordinate with the technology resources, and I had to make sure everybody did what they were supposed to do in a timely fashion. So that and, was um, really, that was really the first big massive project that you were able to sort of leverage your skills mm-hmm. and really resonate. Uh, this is, this is yes. my jam. This is where yes. I need to be. Yes. And I did it successfully. And it was, it was, you know, it was amazing. It was an amazing, amazing accomplishment. My bosses were happy. You know, the company, you know, got to, got to say that we, we use our own products, which is, you know, amazing. And then from there, I moved to Atlanta. So Sybase kind of went through a downsizing and I was, I was you know, 30 years old, still living at home. And I was like, you know what? I'm ready to be a grown up. And yeah. so I decided that I wanted to really be a grown up and move across the country. And so I put feelers out in Arizona, Texas, and Atlanta and Atlanta bit. And I got a, um, a, pr- a project working with Bell South. Um, doing a, you know, their major AS400 upgrades for their billing systems. And I spent, you know, I was a contractor. I spent, you know, a couple years doing that. Then I worked at Altel, which is a telephone billing system. Um, And, you know, tons and tons of of jobs in between. And then Mm -hmm. I, I worked at, well, and in 2001, we went through the major, I got laid off. I was, you know, you know, underemployed for some years. And then I went to Earthlink and I got an amazing opportunity at Earthlink to manage projects. And it was just an amazing environment. I love the, um, just the relaxed nature. It was the first time I worked in a truly, um, a true technology environment where everybody was, it was a casual environment. You know, everybody wore jeans every day. We had, you know, all of the, the games in the in the break rooms and it was just an amazing environment and it kind of colors how I am how I manage my team Mm -hmm. um in that you know it's very casual fit is incredibly important I don't know if you if you remember but when we went through the interview process at um at Earthlink it was I interviewed with like six or seven people because they wanted to make sure that that I was a fit you know, my skill set, that, that's easy, easily verifiable, but the fit and making sure that they fit with the organization and they fit with the culture and that they have the same value system yes, um, was very important. And that is something, you know, I've taken a little bit from all of the places that I've worked and all of the good managers that I've worked with over the years. Um, I've taken that and I, you know, have included 
components of that in my in my companies. Um, so I worked at Earthlink um, for just over a year. And while I was at Earthlink, I went on vacation in Bermuda mm-hmm. and um, I met my husband. Yeah, I remember um, this. Yes. Yep. And so <laughs> we we met on New Year's Eve and we, um, 2005, New Year's Eve, and we um, had a whirlwind romance, I'll say, and <laughs> long distance whirlwind romance. And in October 2006, we got married. And then I moved to Bermuda. And in Bermuda, I was, you know, it was a very unique opportunity in that there wasn't a ton of project management and still isn't a ton of project management um, as a discipline there. And so I got to run the PMO for the Bermuda Telephone Company, and I got to manage some amazing projects. Um, I got to manage the project where they went from TDMI to IP-based solutions. I got to manage a major um, redundant cable implementation. So basically in order for, because Bermuda is an island, in order for them to get internet and cable, et cetera, we have to have a cable from the U.S. because that's the closest point. So they're, you know, they had, they wanted a redundant cable. So in the event, one of the cables went down or there was damage, you know, it goes under the Atlantic ocean and landed in, um, New Jersey. I got to Mm -hmm. run that project. Um, so there was, you know, I, I was in the position that I had a lot of trust um, in the organization and on the island. I, you know, built a re- reputation. And one thing I will say about um, having worked in that type of environment. So, you know, you, you don't think about and, and I didn't think about at the time um, just your network and your sphere of influence and the people that you encounter. And I've never been one to burn bridges. That's not something that, that I, you know, I've done, but in just working in an environment that's so small and such a close knit community that those relationships that you build are so incredibly important. And then applying that to, you know, the work that I've done here in the U S and just the opportunity to have worked with you here in um, to work with you at, at, at Earthlink and then again at Equifax mm-hmm. is, you know, kind of another testament to the importance of building and maintaining relationships and never burning bridges. Um, yeah. So after I left, you know, we, we, we had a, um, so in 2012, we decided we wanted to move back and there were, you know, some, some family factors. And, you know, when I was going through the interviewing process and I was talking to people and they were like, you know, you really don't want to talk about your family factors. And, you know, on some level, I think that that may be important, but I think it's also important to, to, for that human element to come through because it's really important for people to know you and to understand who you are. And so in 2011, 2011, my nephew was born and I was just feeling homesick and I wanted to be back in the States. I wanted to build a relationship with him. Um, I wanted to, you know, cause every time I would come home, it would take a long time for him to warm up to me because, you know, I'd be home every six weeks and mm-hmm. you know, six weeks in toddler years is a lifetime. <laughs> yes. So um, we moved back in 2012 and I, I went to um, Equifax and it was a, um, wonderful and rocky experience. There were times where I was in tears because it was just, it was very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, ultimately it turned out really well. Um, I was blessed to work with some really incredible people. I managed some really 
major initiatives, the, um, the initiative of the, um, what is it called? Commercial marketing, commercial marketing system, which mm-hmm. is the system that, um, and you probably know this, but for, for our audience, basically the credit card um, offers that you receive in the mail there's a an algorithm that um, Equifax uses to pull those all together <clears throat> and aggregate them so that they can send the, the right offers out to the right people. And so we were replacing that system, replacing that platform, and we um, we you know we had a, an amazing team that was distributed. Um, we also were moving to agile at that time, and so you know I was able to get my my safe certification and my certified scrum master certification, um, which all again contributes to and is building on the things that I'm able to do now. And, you know, we had a successful implementation, we replaced the platform and, you know, it was amazing. Um, let's see. Yeah, you and, did. You definitely did a lot there. Cause I know you were, we were both at Equifax about four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you started a little before I did. And it was one of those, wait a minute, don't we know each other when we finally saw each other again? And, you know, you're talking about a small, you know, an island like Bermuda, but Atlanta is a really big city, but it's really not that big, especially in the IT world. So the building, you know, keeping your bridges built and maintaining your your network is really pretty critical. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there was was a lot at the time that Equifax was going, this is all Mm pre-breach. So they were going through, I think, some certainly organic growth. They were, you know, the acquisitions that were, you know, growing the company, you know, you had the, the personal solution side, you had the, the business side, you had the government side, there was a lot of different areas. And it was a great, it was a great place to learn um, mm-hmm. about structure. Yes. And the, the, um, the agile, you know, um, methodologies as they were rolling those in were really starting to get pretty hot. So I think right. the company was not that big that they couldn't institute some small projects like that. Um, mm-hmm. But were you, um, so you, cause you'd work for some small companies, you work for some big companies. Were there, were there aspects of each that you, um, that you preferred or that you liked or tell me how that your experience was with those? Um, you know, the, the, you know, when you talk about big companies, the, you know, the nice thing about a big company is there, there's security there, you know, the yeah. big company, you're, you know, there's security on some level because, you know, most, most big companies, they go through layoffs once a year. But mm-hmm. there is a structure there. There is an organization. There's a continuity there, um, to some degree, that you don't get in the smaller companies. And uh, there's there's support there as well. So you know, as a project manager in a small company, you know, when I was when I was consulting for this, you know, small thirty person consulting firm, it was like I wore multiple hats. I was a business analyst. I was a project manager. I was the project coordinator. I was the system test manager. Um, you know, in a small right. organization, you get to wear more multiple hats, you get to learn a lot, you get to stretch a lot. Whereas in the larger organizations, you, depending on your manager, you may have, or, or your team, you may have a support system. You know, you may be able to have a business analyst and you don't have to worry about that part of it or a technical writer, you don't have to worry about that part of it. Um, and <clears throat> I think in the larger organizations, you get more, um, management and supervision experience, whereas mm-hmm. in the smaller um, organizations, you get more tactical experience, more hands-on experience. Um, and I think both are, are important and both are valuable because you know, as, as a business owner, especially, you need to be able to manage your team. You need yeah. to be able to delegate 
Um, you need to be comfortable delegating. You need to be able to trust the people that are on your team. Um, but you also, you know, in some cases, you need to be able to do the work as a as a business owner because you may or may not be able to afford that team um, initially. You know, so when we first started, you know, my husband was doing all of the actual hands-on technical work because we couldn't afford a tech. tech. And when we first started you know, on the project management side of the business, I was doing, and I was managing the project and I had a project coordinator that was supporting me in learning mm-hmm. um, because we could afford that because the, you know, the client was paying for it. So I think that, you know, there, there's, there's value in both. Um, what I prefer, I think I like the smaller organization better just because you get to, you know, they're not, there's not as many layers. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to do more, you get to learn more, you get to stretch more because you don't have the resources that um, are filling all of those gaps. You have to fill the gaps. Yeah. I think it's a great way to kind of describe big versus small. And then you also went into the the business owner role, which uh, we're going to get into in just a second. But um, so you get towards the tail end of, of your time <laughs> at Equifax, and then you start thinking, I think I want to run my own business. Talk me through that. So, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of in the midst of um, one of the things that you may or may not know, um, when I was at Equifax, I um, helped to start a project management community of practice, and mm-hmm. I was working with our CIO to start a PMO. Um, the PMO got started, and um, I, I wasn't the leader of the PMO, and that's fine. Um, but kind of in the interim, while all of this was happening, I ended up adopting my niece and nephew. And at the time, they were three and six. I um, do remember that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that was a big step. It was huge. It was huge, given the fact that my husband and I were um, dinks, as they call us, dual income <laughs> kids. And we were happily childless, I'll say. Um, however, you know, once my, my, my niece was born and, you know, my nephew is kind of the reason for me coming back, um, when their mom decided that it was, she was not, you know, cut out to be a parent in, in that way. Um, I couldn't let them go into the system and I certainly, certainly couldn't let them go couch surfing with her, um, you know, to, you know, whatever result. So we decided to take the kids and kind of, as part of that, we were, thinking about kind of their life and we're thinking about college and we're thinking about being there for them. And we're thinking about the example that we set. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that, you know, working in corporate is a bad example by any means, but being a business owner and having control of your own financial destiny and having control of your time um, and being able to be there for them. You know, it's like once we started our business, we, you know, I was able to drop the kids off every morning. Now, Equifax was an incredibly flexible organization. I could have done that and there would not have been any issue. But, yeah. you know, my son is on the spectrum as well. So there were times when I had to drop everything and go to the school because he was having a meltdown. Yeah. Um, so part of our decision was that I've always been in my mind an entrepreneur. Um, in 2001, after I got laid off, I started a what I called executive orders. And it was a a concierge service. And basically it was working with traveling professionals to make sure that their home life was taken care of. So I had a client that was a um, a movie um, production manager 
and she would travel all over the world, but you know, there's no one there at her house. So I would go and take in her mail, make sure that, you know, that birds didn't get in the house because she had a loft downtown, um, make sure that, you know, she didn't have a flood. So, you know, and mail her her mail so that her life can here continued, even though she was wherever she was in the world. Mm -hmm. um, so I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always had a business plan that I was waiting to do, um, but it was, you know, kind of that fear of taking that step. And so we started, you know, to get to start our business, we actually bought a franchise mm -hmm. and that franchise is CMIT Solutions of Atlanta Northeast. And basically it's an IT firm. And we um, we went back to our core because we evaluated a number of different franchises. We looked at a Subway franchise. We looked at um, a placement agency franchise. And, you know, after kind of evaluating the return on investment, the market saturation, et cetera, we decided on our core. My husband is a system engineer. He's worked for major insurance and reinsurance companies managing platforms across Europe and the US and Bermuda and Asia. And I'm an IT project manager. So it just made sense. Yeah. So we um, started our business in 2016. We both like crazy people quit our jobs and <laughs> started our business um, in, you know, in, in late 2016. Um, I will caution that, you know, if you're starting a business, we had, you know, we worked very hard and my husband more than me is, is a saver. So um, I've always, you know, I had, a, I've had a financial planner since I was in my thirties and, we had, you know, we saved, we planned, we worked at our financial planner before we quit our job. So I'm not encouraging anyone to just quit their jobs and go and start a business. You have to have a plan before you do that. So we work with our financial planner. We, you know, he lay, helped us to lay out a plan for how we do it, um, how we are going to continue to live indoors because the last thing I want is to start a business and be living in a box under the bridge. So we, <laughs> so, you know, we, we laid the foundation and then we, you know, we both quit our jobs um, to start the business. And um, it started out very slow. We had, you know, for the first year, we were probably making about 30 to $60 a month, you know, in profit. So it, you yeah. know, it wasn't an easy undertaking. However, the second year, we got um, our first client on the project management side. And that is, you know, kind of the direction that we're taking. We're actually in the process of selling um, CMIT and starting, you know, another another company that's more focused on um, just project management and placement. Because, um, you know, just in in evaluating the the market and um, our love, mm -hmm. project management is more in our more, you know, more in line with what we want to do. But we started the, we got the franchise because it helped get me out of my analysis paralysis because, you know, there's no such thing as perfection, but I'm a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I'll analyze and analyze and rework and retool and rework and retool um, just to, to no end. So that for me was, gave me a framework. It got me out of the analysis paralysis and it was amazing. You know, I, I call it tuition, the, the monies that we've invested in our franchise was tuition to get us out of the analysis paralysis and to actually kind of awaken and execute on the entrepreneurial spirit that I've always already had, always had. 
Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. I think it really kind of gets in, in sort of the, the mindset of you and you and I, again, are wired very similar. I, you know, coming from a traditional PM role, there is no sort of experiment, right? It's right. A, everything. Here's your requirements. Here's what you deliver. There's right. no, there's no spare parts left over. It's all there. Exactly. And, you know, moving into the agile space has really taught me about, you don't have to let perfect get in the way of better. And, you know, experiment some of those things. I was going to ask you because I know I've talked to other folks in the entrepreneurial space and there's sort of this um, couple of approaches, right? One is like, do a side hustle, see if you like it, see if it works, right? Mm -hmm. But you've got this security blanket that you're really not invested. Right. And when you dive into the deep end, you know, you're going to have to swim. And so for the two of you to, to sort of dive into that deep end, is that um, is that something that you would... I would say recommend or repeat. Um, did it help you to sort of say, you know what, we're in this, we're going to make this work. Tell me a little bit about how that, that played out for you. Um, you know, originally my husband was going to continue to work mm -hmm. and it it, 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 I feel like the universe just kind of shoved us because um, yeah. he was going to continue to work and his working conditions changed um, and I won't go into, you know, to details around that, but mm -hmm. his working conditions changed in a way that he felt he felt like and we felt like it just made sense for him to go ahead and um, and and come out with me. And I will say that, you know, for as much as I feel like I could have done it with with him working part time, mm -hmm. I don't feel like I would be have been as successful because, you know, my analytical spirit is is you know i'll analyze and analyze and analyze he has this very strong sense of urgency mm -hmm. and he's like we need to do it now and so i have to temper that with prioritization and analysis but mm -hmm. he really compliments me in the fact in the in, in in that he has um this sense of urgency and this strong sense of customer service that it has to be done it has to be done now and I'm like, it has to be done right. So um, I don't think that we would be as successful if I had come out on my own because I would have, you know, kind of analyzed yeah. and analyzed. Whereas he, you know, he's like, let's get it done. Let's get it done now. And he he wants it done right, but he wants yeah. it done urgently. Whereas I want it done right. And if it's if it if I can't do it right, I may procrastinate. Well, so. it sounds like you've got the great partnership there between those two and you can mm -hmm. have a conversation about it doesn't have to be always right all the time, exactly. but what's the scenario driving? What's needed here, right? Yes. What, what do we need to do now or this week versus mm -hmm. next month or the next quarter? So exactly. that's, that's actually great. Yeah. Sounds like you had a, you met your perfect business partner in addition to a life partner. I did. I, I tell people when, when, you know, we were talking about the fact that I'm, I am the CEO of the company. And I, you know, and I appreciate the fact that he defers to me and in, in, in our work, he treats me like his CEO. He defers to me. Mm -hmm. He, you know, I'm, I'm making the decisions for the business. And I tell people, you know, it's like, we are, we're a perfect match when it comes to that, because, you know, as a project manager, I'm used to telling people like him what to do. And <laughs> as a, an engineer, he's used to taking orders from people like me. So yeah. <laughs> it works out very well because we speak each other's language and we speak it in a way, you know, professionally that we've been able to leverage at home so that we can work really well together. Yeah. Well, you told me a little bit about just being a, a small business owner and some of the, mm -hmm. the factors that come into it. What, what would you say you like most about your job? 
Um, you know, it, it's changed over the six years. What I liked about it at the beginning was just the independence and being able, you know, when I realized that what I was doing um, as a small business owner was actually helping other small businesses on the IT side, um, I was just like, wow, that is an amazing feeling that I can help other small businesses um, to be, you know, to, to, to continue to run their business, to continue to be productive, to continue to grow leveraging IT. For me, at the beginning, that was amazing. And that is still um, very important to me and one of the things that I love about what I do. But since I have transitioned into project management, we actually have, I have, um, I actually have another person starting on Monday. So we have nine people in the organization and I am able to affect the livelihood of seven other people because my husband and I, you know, we're, we're on the team, but there are seven other people that I am able to affect their livelihood. And our model on the project management side is um, we have people that are actually experts in their field. They're not all working full time for me. So they're able to work, enjoy the fruits of their labor working with me, but they're also all able to work on their other dreams. I have one employee that's working on her PhD. So she works for me, you know, between 20 and 40 hours a week, depending on the on the project. But she's also pursuing a Ph.D. I have another one who does um, um, short term rental management. And so she works for me 20 to 40 hours a week and she's able to work on her other business. Then I have some full time staff. So I get to contribute to other people's livelihood while they get to pursue their dreams as well. And. And I also love the fact that um, the people that I work with love working with me. And we, you know, the way that we do project management in my organization is we kind of have a collaborative project management approach. So at the beginning of the project, we all work together to build all the project management artifacts. And then the project manager goes off and manages their project. We have a governance and oversight manager that um, supports them. Mm -hmm. And then you know, I get to do all the stuff that I love about project management, which is the the planning and, you know, the foundational stuff. And then the project managers go and do the stuff that I don't love about project management which is the <laughs> every day. Did you do it? Are you yeah. going to do it? When are you going to do it? They get to do all of that stuff. Yeah. And then at the end, I get to help with deployment. So yeah. I absolutely love what I do right now. I absolutely love the teams that I'm working with. And when I listen to myself talking about the people that I'm engaging with. You know, it's like I'm working with the Bermuda government. I'm working with the Bermuda Electric Company. I'm working with the Bermuda Civil Aviation Authority and the levels of people that I'm working with. You know, when I think about a little girl from Mississippi who, you know, grew up with very modest background with, you know, from a single parent and I, you know, and I'm talking about the, um, the, the types of engagement and the network that I've built and the projects that I'm working on, it just, I'm just amazed at where I am and where I've come. And just to talk about one of the projects that I've worked on, and, you know, I, I hate to feel, sound like I'm bragging, but I have to, you know, I think it's important, especially as women, because, you know, we're taught to be demure and we're taught not to toot our own horns and not to celebrate ourselves. And it's incredibly important as women and especially as women women of color 
to celebrate ourselves and, you know, to talk about our accomplishments and to talk about, you know, just the the impact that we make on the world. And one of the projects that I worked on, and I'm so proud of it, um, is the Department of Immigration in Bermuda reached out to me and we worked on their border management system. So Bermuda was getting a new airport and the the border management system is a system that every tourist, every Bermudian, every person that comes into the country will be processed through that system. And my team managed that project successfully. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes. So we are, you know, it, it is an amazing opportunity. Um, it is an amazing testament to what we do and how we do it. And I'm just, you know, I'm thrilled at the opportunity to say that I was a part of it. And to, you know, one, and then, you know, of course, the follow-on business that comes as a result of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm working, you know, hopefully in the next few weeks, I'll be working with the Department of Immigration to do immigration reform and to, um, you know, completely help them to create processes and procedures for their new, you know, how they process passengers and how they process work permits. So, you know, it's it's just been an amazing ride and I'm, I'm just humbled and excited and exhilarated by the opportunities that we've had. Um, And, you know, the work that we're doing in Bermuda is all based on the fact that we built a strong network, that we, you know, we worked with people and we met them where they were and we treated them with kindness and we were, we did our jobs and we did it well. Yeah, that's a fantastic story. And I think we need to hear more of those types of examples from females and from minorities and from small business owners, because it is it is so easy to lose sight of kind of what's going on. And you assume that nothing's happening. And you've done some amazing, amazing work. Um, we have a couple more topics I want to touch on. You know, you mentioned you know, this this little girl from Mississippi, you know, working with these multinationals and really having a, a huge impact in what operational things happen on the island. If you could go back in time, what advice would you give your younger self? Um, don't be so hard on yourself. And you're, I mean, I'm amazing. And, and I, I don't say that lightly um, because, yeah, I would say don't be so hard on yourself. And yeah. You can, you can do anything. You can absolutely do anything because looking at me, you know, in high school, I was not popular. I'll just say that if, if I could show you a picture of me in high school about this big, big old head and glasses about this big, oh my God, and hair way too curly. It was, it was a mess. And Missy, we were late bloomers. I just, yeah, know it. I, I was... I was five feet tall and about 90 pounds until I was like in 10th grade. So, yeah. Yes. So I, you know, it's like, and, and I look back on myself and I, you know, if I could talk to my, myself in high school and in college and in my twenties, I would say one, you're absolutely beautiful. No matter what anybody says, you're beautiful inside and out. You're incredibly smart. You are, you're resilient you're hardworking and you can do absolutely anything. Trust yourself, listen to yourself and forgive yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself because, you know, the things that you're doing and the things that you're learning now are 
constructing who you're going to be. And you need that, that pain. You need those learnings in mm. order to appreciate all of the good that's going to come. That's actually really important. You do learn those lessons from mm-hmm. falling down, um, picking yourself up. And the pain is part of that. It can't all be easy because you just you don't really learn who you are and what's important, you know? Yeah, exactly. So that's great. Um, so let's shift gears a little bit. I know we touched base last year. Uh, 2020 was horrendous for a number of different areas. We touched on some of the social issues that were going on. Um, and I was really looking for insight from the black community as an old white guy, what can I do to be an ally for change? How do I work with those communities that I don't really have any sort of insight to the pain, hardship, um, challenges, all the other things. So I'm just going to open the floor up a little bit. And, um, you know, we've had some things happen, obviously, recently with the Capitol. We'll get on that in just a little bit. But let's let's touch on the social issues that we've seen. Um, It's gone on longer than just 2020. We all know that. But just what's what's happened. So um, just kind of give me give me a sense of where you you are and um, how you know, from an allyship perspective, what things I can be aware of? So first I'll say, um, I really, really appreciate, and and I may get teary because I'm a crier. That's just what I do. Um, Back in 2020, like mid 2020, you reached out to me and you um, just extended a hand and you let me know that you were there for us and you weren't sure how to do that. But I just appreciate the words that you that you said. And I actually shared it on my Facebook with my friends. And I was like, this is how to be an ally. These are the questions to ask. So let me start with saying I really, really appreciate just your reaching out and the way that you reached out. Um, I, I couldn't be I, I was so touched. Um, I actually cried and, and not not tears of sadness, tears of joy, because it just, you know, it, it reinforced that there are good people out there. And I will say that, you know, since in the last four years, you you kind of, the lines have been drawn. And I don't mean that in, a, in an aggressive or a combative way, but yeah. just as you're walking down the street, you can, you can tell the allies, you, 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 it's, there's a look, it's, it's similar to a look that we have in the black community. Uh-huh. Um, but there's a look that you get from allies that you don't get otherwise. And, and I just, you know, let me say that I appreciate the allies. Now, um, as far as how you help as an ally, um, I think that there are a couple of ways. One of the ways that I think that you, you help as an ally is, is listening um, and listening with open ears and an open heart, um, not defensively, because what we're looking for is not to replace or to get revenge. We're really just looking for equality and we're looking to be able to live and be without fear of living and being. I mean, I think, you know, if you ask any Black person, and I don't pretend to, to speak for the entire Black community, but just listening to what I've heard um, from, you know, the conversations that we have internally and um, just the, you know, what I'm hearing on social media everywhere, we just want to be, and we don't want to be threatened for being. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that um, as you're going through life and, you know, Black people talk to Black people in a certain way. White people also talk to white people in a certain way. And when 
those conversations come up and they say derogatory things or threatening things about black people in those small, those closed conversations, don't stand up for it because, you know, don't allow it. Even if you don't say anything, not saying anything is just as bad as participating because if you don't go up against it, you're for it. And so I think the way that allies can help is when those times happen, you know, that it's not okay. I'm not okay with that. You know, have those conversations with your family members that it's not okay. And, you know, there are people that you're never going to be able to change your mind. And, and, and that's, I think that's true of any community and any subject. However, when they come up, if you don't participate and you let them know that it's not okay, and you know you stand up for what you believe in and what you know is right, I mm-hmm. think that's the best way, best way um, to ally. Um, and I think just you know standing and 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 supporting. I am not you know one of those people that's going to go out and protest. I just I don't have the I think I'm too old or too something, but I'm, I'm not, yeah, I will not be on the streets protesting. However, I can use my voice in other ways and yeah. how I, you know, how I use my voice, how I engage, how I interact. Um, and I think also not holding the entire black community accountable for every infraction of an individual, because, you know, we're one of the few groups that, if a black person does something, then it colors the entire black community. And that's not, that's not true. That's not true of, you know, every white person is not the people that stormed the Capitol, just like every black person is, you know, is not whatever, you know, that um, negative, negative stereotype is. So just giving people the benefit of the doubt and seeing them for who they are and their character and not immediately, um, and I, I mean, I, I think that the people are, that are allies, you know, they automatically know that we're not all dangerous and we're not all um, we're not all dangerous. But it's, you know, kind of helping to the other people to understand. And there are some people that are reasonable that have not been exposed. And so, you know, those ones that haven't been exposed and that are genuinely interested, help them to understand. I think yeah. that's the way to kind of pull it all together. And then at some point. We have to have the conversations because, you know, you look at countries like South Africa and South Africa was a lot worse than America when it comes to apartheid. But they've actually honestly and openly had conversations. They're not 100 percent by any means, but they've had the conversations. They've taken some accountability in their role in the oppression and now they're healing so that they can move on. And I think that's what needs to happen in America because all along, you know, people are like, well, that was my ancestors and that had nothing to do with me. However, if we're continuing to perpetuate the oppression and continuing to um, hold people back and burn down communities and, you know, lynch people, it, it may have been what your ancestors did and it should have stayed in the past, but we keep bringing it to the present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really important. I think those are all really, really helpful uh, for folks like myself that are looking to, you know, institute some change and to understand that. Look, it's not, it's not a, it's not a black community problem. It's a, it's an American problem. I exactly. think the conversations are huge. Mm-hmm. I think that we, you know, we're tribal humans by nature, and 
it's so easy to throw a label on somebody. And I'll just talk within the white community. There's, you know, there's conservatives, there's educated, there's rural, there's all these different slices. And you can go into demographics around, you know, heterosexual, homosexual, and all the other different things. If you can put a label on somebody and just go, oh, that person is X, Y, Z. And I know all about that. Do you? Uh, have you had a conversation with them? And so I think it's easy to sort of just sort of throw something over the fence and it's not my issue anymore. Right. And I think right. that is not how we're going to get better. Um, I think having conversations like this are really, really critical to get some insight and to say, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just, I'm not just looking at a black person. I'm looking at my friend, Missy. And I understand she just adopted two people a while ago and she's an amazing person, you know? And And I think, those are the types of things we have to get beyond and say, you know, we're in this together. You know, Um, for me, it was, you know, I'm, I'm from South Florida. I didn't spend any time outside the country. We didn't grow up with money. Our big trip was going to Disney world once a year when you could actually afford it. Um, My, uh, my wife started doing some international travel before I met her and Mm -hmm. she kind of exposed me to, Hey, you know what, you know, the the world's kind of a a cool place to go visit. And when I, started with my Olympic job. I, I didn't know anything about Japan other than they bomb Pearl Harbor. They're horrible people. You know, all the perceptions you hear in our history books. Right. And I get over there. I don't know the language. I don't know the food or the history or culture, any of that stuff. But I started talking to some people over there and I'm like, you peel back, peel back geography, you peel back religion, you peel back, you know, political. And we're all pretty much wired the same. You know, we talked about raising kids and, you know, concerns and fears and hopes. And it was, it was transformational for me to see that in a small microcosm. And I think we can certainly do that here in our country Mm -hmm. um, with all of the other pockets of um, demographic groups. And I think this is one, we have an opportunity to really make some serious change. And I'm, I'm, I know me personally, and I know that the group I work with at AWS is really mm-hmm. supportive of diversity and inclusion, mm-hmm. and we're really doing a lot of amazing things. And so um, I'm, I'm hopeful in a small sense to be able to do more of that in 21. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of processing that we have to do around how do we, how do we get beyond this? Because I think, you know, as I look through last week and I look through, you know, the Capitol protesters and how they were handled versus other protesters and how they were handled. Absolutely. Completely different worlds. And for for the black community um, to be able to look at that and say, we're just, we're not, we're not anywhere close to where we need to be. And, and I completely Absolutely. agree with that. So Absolutely. I, you know, I I will I will say that I am incredibly hopeful. Um, you know, I live in 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 suburban Atlanta. And as I am walking, you know, my kids go to school right around the corner and um, Centennial High School is right near here. Mm -hmm. And as I'm, you know, prior to COVID, as I was driving my kids to school, I would see kids and I would see groups of kids. And it was obvious that they were just groups of kids. Now, these kids were multinational, you know, black, white, Asian. And I just saw kids being kids. And the thing, one of the things that I really appreciate about this younger generation in particular is they seem like they are, they have less tolerance for intolerance. 
they, you know, when, when I'm, when I'm looking at kids and they're just out and about, they're just being kids. And when I see kids, you know, and on, on different platforms and, you know, there's still a level of, you know, there's always going to be that level of bullying or whatever, but I see kids that are, you know, they're, they're comfortable with, engaging with kids that are LGBTQ and I don't know all the initials, I'm sorry. Um, They're, they're, they're comfortable interaction, interacting with different races and different nationalities, um, the genders. It's just, you know, they seem like they're just kids being kids. So that makes me hopeful. And then, you know, when, you know, in in the last four years, just seeing kind of a, an uprising similar to the sixties where we're, working together to, um, to, to, to make change. Um, you know, it, for, for a while, it kind of felt like we were, you know, on our own and we were, you know, we had to do it by ourselves. But I think that one of the things, you know, you can say is positive, you can say it's negative, but I think that, you know, there's always a correction that happens in society, just like corrections happen in the market. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the corrections that is happening in society is one, we've, shi- we've shown a light on the inequities, especially that black and brown people and, you know, trans people and LGBTQ people and native people, indigenous people are all experiencing. And we found allies across the board um, and, and we're coming together as, as white allies, as black allies, as brown allies, as indigenous allies, and we're, we're working together to make change. And mm-hmm. that hasn't happened in a very long time. And so I think that, you know, we can, we can say the positives and negatives of this last four years, but I would definitely say that one of the positives is that we're starting to come together and we're working together and we have, you know, support across the board from good people that want to see a good result and that want to see a better America to start um, and to get us back to kind of the world power Mm-hmm. that we were and the beacon of light that we were because unfortunately we're not there. We no. are not, you know, shining a light right now, but I think that we can. Um, and I think that, you know, us working together um, and pulling together to make the change that we need to make so that we can all have a better life because just because it's us today, you know, doesn't mean that it won't be someone else tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and so I think that us working together to support each other, to make the change that we need to make is going to make all the difference in the world. And it's going to make us all better. And it's going to make the final result of, you know, the final result better. Yeah. Well said. I think that there's a lot that I know I personally want to do in 21 um, and really take more, more action. Um, and having those conversations, I think are going to be critical. I think mm-hmm. that, you know, we, we've talked a few times about agile and one of the big pieces around that's transparency. I think mm-hmm. our technology has given us an opportunity to have a voice, um, sometimes to uh, a detriment, but, um, <laughs> talking about a certain individual who got blocked, but, um, Thank God, finally, <laughs> yeah, seriously. But I think, you know, those, those stories are able to get out and, you know, you've got ways to sort of have, you know, 
insight to here's what's going on at a ground level. And I think those are helping to really tell the story to expose sort of what's going on. And I think we can also use that, say, here's what we're doing to help kind of build those bridges and Absolutely. mend those fences and build a new kind of a community. And I, I wanted to touch on what you said about the, the, the Gen Z generation, you know, my kids are 24, 23 and 20 and they're, you know, that I'm going to be the old white guy, the woke generation, right? They but they're, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they, they really do get it. You know, my son is, mm-hmm. he's gay. Um, and he's not really had any issues that it say, you know, we go back to when we were teenagers you know, that was a whole different world. And I couldn't oh, yes. imagine a hundred years mm-hmm. prior to that, you know, mm-hmm. it just, so they understand social issues much better. I think they are much more skilled at navigating um, those types of waters than we were. Right. Um, I think it's also um, much more accepting for them yes. to to deal with that. And I'm hopeful that that generation, they're getting more active as well. I mean, I, I I could never have imagined having a political conversation with my parents at 24, mm-hmm. but that's what we talk about. There's so much to, to really go through at the dinner table when we do get yeah. together. And um, it's really refreshing to see. And so I'm, I'm encouraged that this generation is going to help sort of take that responsibility and take it to a place where it really needs mm-hmm. to be. Yeah. And I think we as older people need to listen. And um, it's not like, you know, the, the we didn't start the fire song, you know, Hey, it was going on before me. I didn't do anything to create this. So I'm absolving myself of that. That's, that's no longer acceptable. It's no. let's, let's figure out how do we make this place better? Right. How we work together, you know, and I think about it just from a, a worker, a family perspective and less of a political perspective. You know, would I work for somebody that does this type of activity? Would I accept this in my family? And so as I expand my friend groups out across all kinds of demographics, um, I really want to learn and understand and grow personally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's stay in touch. Um, I think we need to do a follow-up because I would love to partner with you in some ways in 21 to sort of see how do we get better at doing this. I want to hear about your new adventure and your, your business as you expand your PM empire and um, I, I really appreciate your time today, Missy. I know this was a long time coming. We've been planning this for a while. And so to have you as the first guest in 21 uh, means a lot to me. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you, one, in, in inviting me on um, because this is an amazing platform. And um, I hope that, you know, I expect that you'll do a lot of good this year. And um, I would love to do a follow-up. So, you know, just let me know. I'm, I'm here. Excellent. Well, Missy, thanks so much. I appreciate your time today, and uh, we will certainly have a follow-up. Have a good rest of your day. Sounds good. You too.